Welcome to the Aging Hipster Movie Show. This is Bob Serrano. Welcome to the podcast, the Aging Hipster Movie Show. Where we watch our favorite movies, the Aging Hipster Movie Show. Tell you why we like them, the Aging Hipster Movie Show. Everything we love in the cinema, it's the Aging Hipster Movie Show. And here we are, episode four, Masters of the Universe. Let's say hello to the hipsters. First up, DJ Webmaster Toby Crines. How are you doing this week? Great. Happy to be uh, shitty. Happy to be here. (laughs) (laughs) Fine and shitty, but um, (laughs) um, how how would you describe your experience watching Masters of the the Universe? Disappointment. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, also joining us is Tim Holly from Tim Monsters and Tape Freaks. Hello, Tim. Hello. Thanks for having me back. Thank you for being back. And how about you? What'd you think? Oh man, it's everything I I remembered it being. I guess <laughs> it's one as it's, it's one of the few moments or one of the moments I remember as a kid watching a movie, like being excited for it, and then walking out and just being like something was wrong, and I don't know what it was. Like it was like the first time I seen like a really bad movie, and I couldn't really understand what I had just watched, <laughs> like what they did and why <laughs> yeah. they would do it. Like, like something didn't feel right. And I don't know what it is. I sh- should have like all movies were just exciting at that point, good or bad. This was a special kind of bad where I was like, something's not correct in this movie. <laughs> and then, you know what hipsters sometimes in life, things just kind of align. You can call it kismet. You can call it uh, something else like a, uh, like stars aligning. And this is one of those moments. Um, I remember see, uh, putting this down and booking this guest, and just and I just kept on giggling for about a month. And finally, <laughs> found a culmination of all of my sinister deeds. Because today, Robin Posey Leon from My TV Family is here to talk about Masters of the Universe. Toby, uh, do you have a clip for us? Yeah, this is from uh, the last Starfighter show. Robin, I will see you back for Masters of the Universe. <laughs> you're, you're not, it's not over. Oh, not over. me, sir. Did I commit to that? Uh, <laughs> run away. Oh. Run away. That would be amazing. And was it amazing? Bob, I hate you for subjecting me to this, and I might <laughs> never speak to you ever again. <laughs> oh, but it's going to be so much fun. Let's uh, talk about some uh, your favorite TV shows in this moment. What do you th- what you watching? Um, so we just had a little bit of a movie marathon weekend. Um, we watched Wreck It Ralph, uh, Ralph Breaks the Internet, and Zootopia. Uh, so that was uh, okay. all the kitty movie marathons. Um, and on the grown up front. Nothing better, uh, but we are watching Indian Matchmaker, and it is horrendous, and I love it so much, and it's everything that is wrong with the world today. It's uh, it's not great, and I love it. So check it out. What did you, you think of Zootopia? Um, I, I loved it, and like even watching it now, I was like, man, those animals had it right all along. It's so good. It's so good. And Shakira, oh, all day long. I enjoyed it as well. Uh, Robin, I got to tell you that um, that I have been, karma has gotten back at me this week. So don't think that like I have been unpunished. So uh, this week I was just sort of sitting at my computer. I think I was editing or something. And like literally one of the arms from my 
my uh, glasses just fell off. Just fell off. <laughs> Matt was like, reaching through the computer by the power of Grayskull. Right? <laughs> yeah. Um, and then like a day later, the other thing oh. uh, fell. So now it's uh, being held together by uh, Gorilla Glue and electrical <laughs> tape. And I went and got some new glasses and all that kind of stuff. And they're like, oh, it's going to take three weeks because of coronavirus and social distancing. So I just want to let you know that I have been paying for this. So <laughs> you have been avenged. By Even- the power of Courtney Cox. <laughs> the power of, I power of the you. keyboards. <laughs> <laughs> the illusions. The the incredible band from Master of the Universe. They, I was done. So... Yeah, so let's, uh, before we get into it, it's time to read reviews and emails for the show. Remember, if you write a review, we will read it on the air. If you send an email, we will read it on the air. We have prizes to give away, so it's up to you to give yourself more chances to win. Um, this came in March 12th, 2020 from Small Town Cinema. It says, best parts are the panel discussions. Bob is a great host with fun and interesting questions. Five stars. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So, like, earlier last time, Robin, someone person was like, oh, this is really great. They do a really great job and gave us four stars. So, <laughs> it was yeah. like, couldn't be better. Four stars. Great <laughs> Caps, yeah. But I'll still give you something, Greg Caps. I, I appreciate you putting it in. Please yeah. five-star reviews, people. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. Should we play the trailer for uh, Master, Master of the Universe? Yes. At the far end of the universe, there is a planet ruled by a being of utter evil. And there is only one man who dares challenge him. They are locked in a battle to the death. A battle that will take them across the heavens. A battle that will finally be fought. I want them to get out and brought to me! Across the face. Police! Nobody move! Of Earth. I think I'm going to need some backup. Can you show us the way? No. distant galaxy, they have come to Earth. Dolph Lundgren as He-Man, Frank Langella as Skeletor. Only they have the powers to be. Masters of the Universe, live the adventure. Oh, wonderful. Tim, can you tell us about the adventure? Oh, of course. Um, well, it's the the short uh, description of the plot is a heroic warrior He-Man battles against evil Lord Skeletor and his armies of darkness for control of Castle Grayskull. Uh, it's directed by Gary Good- Goddard, uh, dr- written by David O'Dell, the writer of The Muppet Show and uh, uh, Dark Crystal, which is kind of crazy. Uh, and then it stars Dolph Lundgren, Franklin Jella, Meg Foster, Courtney Cox, and a whole slew of other people you probably recognize from 80s films uh it was released august 7th 1987 
Uh, this says the budget was $22 million. I do not believe they even came close to that uh, based on the production problems. Uh, I think there was more like closer to like 10 to 15 million is my understanding. Uh, but it only made a, a, around 5 million opening weekend and then it grossed 17, uh, a little over that in the, uh, worldwide, I believe. It was considered a pretty major flop. It only lasted in th- theaters for about three weeks before it got pulled. Uh, other films that came out in 1987 are Beverly Hills Cop 2, Platoon, Fatal Attraction, The Untouchables, Three Men and a Baby. The the Secret of My Success, Stakeout, Lethal Weapon, Witches of Eastwick, Predator, a whole, yeah, a RoboCop, Cro- Crocodile Dundee, just a ton of great films that year. I guess I shouldn't leave off Dirty Dancing. Uh, and then it uh, looks like Masters of the Universe came in at 65, just under Born in East L.A. Cheech uh, Marin. Maybe. Yeah, and then number 73 on the list, Superman 4, The Quest for Peace was another canon film. Uh, that oh, and actually, uh, number seventy over the top is also a canon film. So they they, they had a, a few sticking around the sixties, seventies, um, and I guess I'm just quickly I'll go the the reaction. It looks, says the uh, on Rotten Tomatoes, the critic consensus is Masters of the Universe is a slapdash ad- adaptation of the He-Man mythos that can't overcome its cynical lack of reason. Theater, no matter how adamantly Franklin Jella throws himself into the role of Skeletor. Uh, that's got a 17% uh, Rotten Tomato score from critics and 40% from an audience score. So seems like it was pretty, uh, pretty not well received uh, across the board. Uh, but I was going to go a little briefly into like masses of the universe. Uh, so like it started as a toy line by Mattel to compete with Star Wars from Kenner and G.I. Joe from Hasbro as the other kind of considered popular boy toys is what they were what they would consider at that time period in the 80s. Uh, Mattel was not doing well. All they had really going for them was Barbie, but Barbie was kind of hitting a wall. Uh, and they had actually turned down the Star Wars licensing deal with George Lucas. Uh, so they're kicking themselves at that point. So they were trying to come up with a, a, a new idea from scratch. Uh, and uh, He-Man was what came out of that, but they like were adapting a bunch of different things in test markets, and they had an army knockoff, which they were just calling G.I. Joe 2, a space knockoff, which they were calling Star Wars 2, and then they had like a barbarian line, which they just had put a, like, a placeholder in as He-Man, uh, and eventually just stuck with He-Man because they couldn't come up with anything better, I guess. Uh, and then that eventually launched an animated TV show, uh, which they hired uh, Filmation to do the animation. But if anybody remembers that, it's like a really clunky animation style because they had to try and crank it out with a limited budget. And like pretty much every week, they would have a new animation. So they were trying to do a new cartoon every week. So they'd reuse shots and just animate like one arm from the person or just like, or they would like, like n- real animation, you do it on the ones you you animate a frame every 24 seconds. So you have like that fluid movement, like you'd see in a Disney film, or like quality animations. Whereas the other, like lower productions, you do it like every other frame, or sometimes even less than that. I think filmation was just like pretty slapdash, just like cutting and cutting pieces together to tell these stories. But they were battling with the toy line people, so they were creating their own characters. The toy line people were trying to create their own characters, and they're trying to stay on the same page to keep the a coherent storyline but that did like lead to a he-man kind of mania in the mid 80s uh they also had a um multiple animated movies there's a dc comics line uh they had a live action touring 
production show that they went all over the country with, I guess, at that time period, which is kind of amazing. Uh, but then, yeah, so then that led to them wanting to make uh, a movie. So they hired Gary Goddard, who had never directed a movie before. He'd only he was an Imagineer at Disneyland, and he he was like in, like responsible for some of like the Epcot rides and some of that stuff. And he did a, actually a Conan stage show for Universal Studios, and that led to him getting hired for the job. But he also worked in toys. He is actually responsible for developing uh, some of the Candyland characters. Like the King Candy on the Candyland board is actually modeled off of Gary Goddard, the director of oh, Masters of the Universe. And uh, he, uh, because he had done toy stuff, Mattel knew him and they were willing to sign off on him being a director, even though he had no real experience in that realm. <laughs> so uh, that sort of led to some of the weird production issues. And then enters Canon Films, uh, who, if you know 80s action films, you know Canon Films, maybe like potentially. Uh, it's started in like the the company was actually started in the 60s and they were kind of specialized in kind of swedish softcore and then they were they had financial problems uh that led the, to them selling the studio in 79 to uh the two israeli cousins uh menahan golan and yoram golas uh globus uh golan and globus which you'd see uh, like on a lot of films of this time period uh which they're most notorious for like the ninja boom in the 80s a lot of the ninja movies starring shokasugi and michael dudikoff like American Ninja and that. Uh, and then they also did the break-in movies, break-in one and break-in two electric boogaloo. Uh, they also like were sort of like taking and making what they would consider American movies in quotations uh, under like this, like what these Israeli cousins viewed as American movies. And that got us things like over the top, the Sylvester Stallone arm wrestling movie, which is <laughs> one of the most bizarre, bizarre things from the eighties like that. Uh, they also responsible for a lot of Chuck Norris films and Charles Bronson Death Wish rip, rip uh, sequels. Uh, it, so at one point, they, like I was saying, like there's multiple movies that we I was were on that top 100 films of 1987. In their heyday, like in their prime, they were putting out about 43 movies a year. Uh, they would like snatch up like pretty crappy scripts for no money and then just put them into production as fast as possible. But then they would borrow against the previous film what they expected to make in the box office so they could fund the next production. And then they got themselves into this cycle where they basically just drove them into bankruptcy. Like they were notorious for like printing posters based off of a title, a tagline, and then they would attach a director, even though they had never signed them to the movie and then go to Cannes film festival and plaster the posters up, bring in investors and pull their money from a movie that didn't exist, then run home and make the movie as fast as possible so they could get it into the market to basically pay off these investors. Like they were, kind of lunatics there's a there's a couple really great documentaries about them one in particular is called uh, uh electric boogaloo the the wild untold story of canon films and it's well worth watching if you're not familiar with their history but it basically they they ended up kind of kind of driving the company into the ground and having a falling out with each other uh which sort of culminated in a point where they were making uh competing uh, lombada movies One's called Lombada, one's called The Forbidden Dance that they're trying to get out and the, into the theaters at the same time to compete with each other. It's, yeah, it's insane. Uh, I, I, haven't, I haven't thought about that dance in years. <laughs> it was a craze in the 80s. Uh, I was a master. Yeah. Uh, I was right. <laughs> uh, they I also had a... At my seventh grade dance, you were not <laughs> <all> Lombada. <laughs> 
Was that the move in Dirty Dancing? Was it Lombardo? No. Oh, oh be. <laughs> Dirty Dancing is way is like way too PG. Yeah. Like Lombardo is like yeah the forbidden dance. <laughs> Uh, but then they also that they were also the, one of the first studios to buy up a, a contract or a licensing deals from uh, Marvel Comics, and they notoriously had the rights to uh, multiple Marvel characters in the '80s that they were trying to produce films for, but never quite got off the ground. Uh, one of them being Spider-Man, that was kind of went through multiple different hands. There's posters that exist from their one of their can runs for a Spider-Man movie to be directed by Toby Hooper, which is pretty funny. Um, and then, uh, but then, so then I, I guess we'll go into some more of the, like the kind of end of Canon films in a little bit here. Uh, but the other thing I was going to mention as far as, as far as production stuff is that Dolph Lundgren was kind of signed on because he just looked like He-Man, but nobody really realized that he couldn't speak English. Um, <laughs> so he had to try and practice his lines phonetically. And part of his contract was that he got three tries and that if he, if they didn't feel comfortable, they were going to overdub him. But they all knew that they were just going to overdub him no, with no like no issue at the end. They were just they were just going to let him do the three tries, and they were going to overdub him no matter what. But then they ran out of money, so they had to keep his dialogue, which is part of the wow. reason that it is the way it is. But they also wrote a lot of his dialogue out of the movie, so that's why you don't have as much He Man because they didn't <laughs> yeah, want him. He Man's not there. He's just- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. They didn't. They couldn't. They couldn't rely on him, even though he was a great like per, like performance. He just they couldn't rely on his dialogue. <laughs> I mean, he, he's a he's a great looking. I guess I don't know. I mean, starring <laughs> Courtney Cox. Uh, <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. And uh, Will Dor. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the other the other crazy things was that uh, the, uh, the 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 Mattel's pr- toy line was like at that point. By the time the movie got into production, was already starting to die. And they needed this movie to get into theaters to try and rejuvenate the toy line, even though they were supposed to capitalize on it. So like it was like it sort of flip flopped the other way when they started running out of money. Uh, Mattel had agreed that Canon wouldn't pay them back the royalties that they still owed them for the, the licensing deal just so they could use that money because Canon pulled the plug and they weren't going to film the final fight sequence. They like ran out of money before they fought. They filmed that. And they was like, you don't need it. <laughs> so then Mattel was like, yeah, we do here. We'll give you this credit. Use that money to film the final fight sequence. Uh, and then, but by that point in 86, the toy line was already competing with like Thundercats and Voltron and all these other toys that had come out to kind of model off of their success. And it was just like already kind of a failed thing at that point. Um, and then there rushing into production so fast that the the the, the set designers uh which are like amazing artists is like mobius who's like an amazing french comic book artist who knew we'll talk more about him in the tron in some of the other episodes that he's d- did work on because he's done amazing production design but he took some of his previous designs that he'd already done for um if you have if you haven't seen there's a documentary called jodorowsky's dune about alexander jodorowsky's oh, yeah. failed attempt to make dune in the 70s Mobius did a bunch of the storyboards or did the storyboards for that. And he took some of his designs from that and put them in masters of the universe. That's what the final Skeletor form is, is pulled from <laughs> just like that giant weird gold, like helmet thing. Oh, right. yeah. um, and then uh, <laughs> William Stout or Bill Stout. He's like a production designer who did like Conan and Ra- Raiders of the Lost Ark and Return of the Living Dead. He's just an incredible oh, artist. He was doing a bunch of designs for this, but then Mattel was like, oh, we'll make toys based off of these. And he's like, no, I own these. You can't have these, which led to a big fight behind the scenes between Mattel 
And then they were just trying to rush up production because they were mad that they couldn't use all the new designs that these artists were making for the movie. It's just like, it's just like, like a huge cluster of people just not communicating and poorly communicating with each other. And then lastly, they were trying to just take these designs and make costumes with like no lead time whatsoever, which led to them being made out of fiberglass and metal, which caused a lot of the actors to get like hurt. And like what the guy blade with the shaved head, one of like the kind of bounty hunter guys, his suit, I guess, wore uh, when he was wearing it was about 60 pounds of metal. And it just caused him lots of pain and he couldn't do any of the action sequences, but he was the stunt coordinator. So he had a bunch of stunts planned that he had to scrap for himself but then coordinated a bunch of stuff for other other actors because he couldn't do that like himself because of his costume being too cumbersome. And then Meg Foster, who's evil in, I guess her costume was like fiberglass and it was so heavy. It was like another 50 pound costume on her that it ended up bruising her pelvis and her like her ribs and stuff like that when she would wear it for long periods of time. And a lot of the actors like were there was no breathability to it. So they would just like their boots would fill up with sweat. So they would like couldn't walk around because their feet were so heavy, just filled with like, all the sweat from the, the day like it was just sounds like it's a complete nightmare of a production funny like those uh those troubles don't really come out on screen do they <laughs> no no it's seamless yeah oh boy amazing. i like am bitching because i had to like find this thing on youtube and watch it and you like did the homework man that's amazing i love all that it's 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 a fascinating story behind this. There's actually a, a couple different really extensive articles that are written about it, and a, a couple different like yeah. There's like it, they talk about it a bit in the documentary too. But uh, it's this is like one of those notorious production histories where it's just like everything that could go wrong went wrong. It seems like, and then also like they just had to keep cutting corners, which led to like He-Man taking place in modern day America in like. Sort of being a Star Wars knockoff more than anything. Like they couldn't afford to do the Orko character, which was really popular in the cartoon, which is what Billy Barty ended up playing as Gwildor, the weird like key master guy. He's sort of like an Orko stand in because they knew they couldn't officially do that kind of production at that time period with the budget and the time that they had. Uh, but Billy Barty, if you if you recognize his voice, probably couldn't recognize him through the makeup, but. He's uh he, he was an amazing like actor like who's been in a ton of stuff. He was in Willow. He was in yeah. uh, um UHF. He's he was like in all the old Sid and Marty Crop shows like Sigma and the Sea Monster and stuff. Yeah, it's, it's I mean the cast in this movie is crazy. Uh, but that was like yeah some some pretty awesome stuff. And then also lastly, Bill Conti did the score. Who's the guy who did the the theme song to Rocky? <laughs> but he's clearly oh. trying to do like a John Williams score in this. Yeah, it's like, it's like, he's like I'm gonna take a little bit of Hulk. <laughs> planets and i'm gonna combine it with the star wars theme and yeah. <laughs> well luckily none of the scenes showed through in the movie <laughs> so. a, yeah. a, a bunch of the actors were actually were quoted as saying that they can't believe it when they saw the movie that it had a beginning middle and end <laughs> <laughs> oh man <laughs> Okay, so let's get into our own thoughts. Let's start off with our esteemed guest, Robin, who I, I bet has never seen this before or had never seen it before. I have not. I will say that my younger brother was obsessed with the TV show and we had all of the little doll uh, action figures. <laughs> pardon me. Um, and so I was familiar with the the universe of the Masters of the Universe, but um, I had not seen this 
film, and I use the word film very loosely. <laughs> Technically, it's a film. <laughs> Yikes. If you say so, Bob. Yeah. Um, okay, so that kind of sums it up. You're, you're questioning that it's even a film. In the I, end. I was very curious as to what it had to do with planet Earth. Like, that was a <laughs> Yeah, it was unwatchable in both that you can't find it anywhere, and it was also just unwatchable. So there you have it. That- you can't find it on Stars, my new favorite uh, channel out there. <laughs> it, you can also watch uh, other stuff like um, Vita. Yeah, yep, and uh, Lonesome Dove, and in between, and America's Sweethearts. Remember that one with. Uh, Billy Crystal and John Cusack, and uh, we'll get to that later. But anyways, let's 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 get to Toby. Toby, I was wondering, you, um, you know how like Amazon, if you don't like a Audible book, you can return it. I was kind of wondering if I could get my Stars subscription back. Um, <laughs> I noticed uh, as I was watching this, it was noticeable more for what was missing than what was there. Like, there's no appearance by Adam. Like the whole transformation of Adam to He Man is like the coolest part of He Man. Mm-hmm. And then you know he holds up the sword in front of Castle Grayskull and. Says by the power of Grayskull, I have the power, or whatever he says, and then yeah, uh, and then he always points his sword at Battle Cat, who <laughs> goes from timid cat to giant roaring animal. Um, didn't exist in the movie, and then Orko, who's the most likable character from the show, isn't in it. Um, so it, it's just like one disappointment after another for me. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? Like I was wondering uh, about that when they're they're talking about Eternia. Eternia looks like a dump. Like I don't know why anybody cares. Like about like taking over that piece of shit. What are you even <laughs> fighting for? Yeah, <laughs> like Skeletor did his like hologram over just like a wasteland. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Well, and the thing is, like, even in the cartoon, I think it was a dump. Uh, yeah. Although the castle was nice, like, like not Grayskull, but the other castle. Grayskull was a dump, of course. Right, and it's funny because, like, uh, He Man in the cartoons was, you know, Prince Adam had like a had like a mother and de- uh, you know mother and father had like a sister that's what Shira, right? And that's mm-hmm. the whole thing. And then i don't know where anybody is around here oh yeah the the whole cringe or battle cat thing was another thing with orco that they were like we're not even going to attempt this because there's no way we're ever going to make it happen they were going to have to like stop motion animate it and they're like no (laughs) but i've seen i've seen this movie multiple times now and i still can't really get like a coherent grasp on the plot because like in the beginning like skeletor's already taken over Grayskull, is that where he is? Like, yeah, yeah. So like, it just opens yeah. with him getting because that's like his one mission in the cartoon is just to take yeah. over. He never Grayskull. gets so he, Grayskull in the cartoon, and he just opens the movie and he's already got it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, what <laughs> <laughs> so more does he want? <laughs> yeah, yeah. He like now he wants revenge on He Man, and so it's maybe about revenge on He Man, like. Did yeah. he lose his power or something? There was something in the beginning he needed to... We wanted the key still, but then, like... But he already had, like, the River Empress, and he's pulling power from her, so he didn't really need the key because he already had everything he wanted. He was, like, a completist. <laughs> like, you know, like, he had to have everything. Like, he had to have every key. He had to have He-Man. And that was- he-Man, he could be out there protecting all those people in Mad Max land, and you know, you just never know. 
Yeah, I mean, he's just milking the sorceress of her power. Yeah. Okay, and- can you tell a fun fact? I have literally, Tim, I cannot compete with all your fun facts. I but bet I know it was sorceress. The sorceress plays Monica's mother on Friends. Yeah, Whoa. Colette pointed that out when we were watching it, and I was like, I had no idea. That's so crazy. Yeah, I, I was like, I know that lady. And then I was like, well, if I look at IMDb, am I going to lose any of the plot of this movie? Yeah. <laughs> That was Monica's mom. That was my, I mean, favorite part of the movie right there. <laughs> you know, I, I think I'm not over overstating this one. Every single, I say like every single episode of He-Man, the cartoon was the same plot. It was like stopping Skeletor from getting to Castle Grayskull. Yeah, exactly. And this movie what? starts with him in Castle, you know, he's already won it. <laughs> and he had like all these troops that he never did before. Now he has yeah. these black clad stormtroopers. Right. right. Coming guns? Through. I don't remember. Like, maybe there were guns. Helmets. No, there yeah. was, there, I don't think there was any guns in the cartoon that I remember. Or I like, think there were some like lasers, but I mean, they weren't like this. It wasn't like there's, a, it was more swords in the cartoon, and there's yeah. a barely any sword play in this movie. Like He Man's run, running around with, I mean, there's some, but like He Man's running around with a gun a lot more than he's running around with his sword. Yeah, but everybody <laughs> else had a gun, so you gotta, you know, you gotta compete. Yeah. <laughs> One thing I would have liked to see more of too, like in the cartoon, he's always putting his sword in his backpack and mm-hmm. or in his sword holder in the back, the holster. And as kids, that's like, like we always be like, pull, we put a broom's handle in our shirts and be like, Shh, by the power of gray school. And like, um, he didn't once do that. I don't even, I don't even know if he had a holster for his sword. <laughs> Maybe he did when we weren't seeing him when he was, cause he wasn't on screen much. <laughs> yeah, <exactly. laughs> that was the part where he was speaking. So they had to yeah oh man um favorite parts of the movie you guys any favorite parts <laughs> anything uh, that i thought of one thing um what? the the scene where they're all vegetarian and they're eating meat yeah. for the first time <laughs> like wonderful <laughs> i i did appreciate the ludicrous um like whatever henchmen like beast man and the blade and that little ragtag group whenever they're on screen because they were just like interesting looking. But the most interesting one was the weird lizard guy who was the first one to get just knocked off. And I was like, oh, that's bummer. Because it's like his like whole neck like blew out and stuff like that. And it's like oh. <laughs> they couldn't afford to do that more than once. So they're like, no. you gotta kill him right now. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Run away. Uh, uh, who is that one? Your favorite line? Yes. <laughs> In addition to Courtney Cox's mom being the sorceress, again, favorite part of the film, uh, my favorite line was, what was the boyfriend's name, the keyboard guy? Kevin. Kevin, yeah. of course it was. Um, Kevin said, I'm just a stupid keyboard player in a high school band. That was oh. the last line of the movie. Kevin. So. Who's, who's for some reason doing a sound check by himself with no sound guy there? <laughs> Not the rest of the band. <laughs> I, like, I mean, I do want to oh. talk about it a little bit later, but we could talk about it now. Like the, it's just sort of just it was. <laughs> That's quite a gig. Like, yeah, he's playing that. It was hard. It was like the final dance of the year. His band has like, I mean, they look like a serious touring, not touring, but like a cover band or something. Like, he just got a sweet new Japanese synthesizer, and yeah, <laughs> and he's just like, and, and like uh, that. That song that he's playing, he's like, "Oh yeah, this rocks, doesn't it, Courtney Cox?" And she's just like, "Yeah, absolutely, doesn't it, Courtney Cox?" (laughs) (laughs) Um, Robin, Shira, who is your favorite character? Nope, pass. Um, (laughs) 
I like Skeletor. I mean, that guy really had drive and commitment and charisma and nobody working hair and makeup. So, yeah, I'll go Skeletor. And uh, I think Frank Langella, the actor who played Skeletor, actually really liked playing him, right? It's one of his favorite roles, yeah. Really? Yeah. yeah. He really liked because they just kind of let him run wild with it. He, like, tried to take it to, like, a Shakespearean level, you know, even though he had, like, a rubber <laughs> mask on and stuff. <laughs> he just got to do whatever he wanted with it, yeah, it seems I read, like. And, I read that he made up lines, like, yeah. brought lines and set them, and they made it in the movie. And <laughs> Yeah, he's really proud of his performance. Like, what would Skeletor's motivation be here? Yeah, it showed Skeletor all the way. Frank Langella, also Nixon and Frost and Nixon. (laughs) Similar role. Number one role of all time, Skeletor. Number two, Frost and Nixon. Oh, man. How about you, Toby? Uh, If I were to, like, pick a likable character <laughs> it would be the the uh the guy from uh uhf the the orco really party yeah 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 i mean he was he was decent comic relief not great but <laughs> you know, likable somehow like beneath all that hair he had gills i don't know how that yeah those animals evolved um, did you notice his makeup evolved throughout the movie <laughs> not in a good way yeah, he was also just filling that was suit was like foam latex and it was just filling with sweat, so it absorbed the sweat and his suit just kept getting heavier and heavier and heavier. Oh, the day. that's so disgusting. Gross. Yeah. Ugh. But he did a good job. I like Frankly and Jella and you know uh and Gwildor. They're good, you mm-hmm. know, I thought. Yeah. yeah, they both did a really good job. And then okay, this is probably gonna be a little bit a little bit more up your alley, Robin. What's the most embarrassing character? <laughs> Yes, all of the characters. Um, <laughs> gosh, that's really tricky. Um, Ke- I gotta go, Kevin. I mean, he's just a high school. He's just a dumb high school keyboard player in a band. He's just a guitar player. <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's not going far. Keyboard's not going to be around much longer. It's I'm going seven. Kevin. <laughs> Kevin. How about, how about you, Toby? Oh God. Um. <laughs> I mean, uh, I mean, is it possible to say He Man here? Like, like that's embarrassing? Correct. Like, that's the correct answer. <laughs> like the the fact that he like he was the star of the cartoon, like the show, as everyone you know, like he doesn't have any lines. <laughs> like, <laughs> but Dolph Lundgren is bu- is blonde. He's buff, and like, yeah, he's like a big triangle that's on top of a i don't know like <laughs> a swedish true. base yeah like if he was something like, like an ikea piece of furniture it'd be like a he-man you know like <laughs> i don't know an armoire or something but <laughs> but anyways let's get into um dolph lundgren because actually he is probably the most interesting man in the world probably yeah he is Toby, do you have that clip? Of I studied acting telling- when I was a kid in junior high and messing around doing plays and playing music, playing the drums and such. But uh, then, you know, I started studying engineering and um, trying to get the scholarships to go to the States. And that's kind of why I gave it up. And when I came to New York, I met this girl. I was about to go to school in Boston. I met this girl uh, who was a singer and she was in the film business as well. And I just kind of got pulled into, uh, you know, show business. 
Well, I was in New York and I was studying acting and um, working on the door at night at the club. And I went to, for some auditions. And one was this boxing movie, they said. I didn't know it was a Rocky picture. And, uh, but I, I, they turned me down because I was too tall. So I found out when I was there, it was a Rocky film. And I thought, oh, I can't miss this. This is perfect. So I took some pictures of myself in boxing gear. I sent them off to Sly through somebody who said they knew somebody who said they knew somebody who knew Sylvester Stallone. So it took about six months for me to get hired for that film. And, uh, you know, then I worked out with Sly for five months, did the movie, and um, it came out. So it was like I went to the premiere, and it was just that change. When I walked in, nobody noticed me. And then I walked out, and everybody was, I see all these flashes, and they'll take pictures of me. And I'm like, wow, they take pictures of me, and then... Well, that, that's it. You know, it became kind of very famous in, in a very short period of time. Well, that's probably he. So uh, there's a lot of understatements here. He fails to uh, mention a few things. So he grew up in Sweden and got a chemical engineering degree, which is pretty Im- impressive. Uh, he was also a European karate champion uh, for a couple of years uh, and also like competed in, in Australia. Then he got uh, went to Australia and got his master's degree in chemical engineering and while he was there in Sydney, Australia, he uh, gets noticed by Grace Jones, the singer-actress, becomes uh, her bodyguard and also lover. Mm-hmm. And she moves him. She moves him to New York to keep him on tap. Um, and also, I like at, when I think when he was in Australia, he talks about going to school in Boston. The school is MIT. He had a Fulbright scholarship <laughs> to go to MIT, uh, but he, instead he ends up in uh, New York, where he, when he was uh, bouncing, he was bouncing with uh, Chaz um, Palminteri, the actor director as well, um, and he he spends his uh, his nights uh, dancing at uh, Studio Fifty Four. He, he's hanging out with Andy Warhol, and he studies acting with Tom Hulse and Andy McDowell. And then, of course, then he becomes Ivan Drago and becomes a, a superstar kind of thing. I mean, so it's 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 insane. Like this, guy. I, I believe he has a few patents for his chemical engineering. Like he he actually <laughs> has practiced chemical engineering and has like made a like a, a significant amount of his money doing that, which is crazy. Wow! Like he's a really really smart, like well spoken guy. Like I actually like sort of briefly met him in LA one time we went to a comic con and he was there and saw him speak and he was like the nicest like most humble like smart dude which is crazy because you never th- I, I, I for years I just like I thought of him as he man which is like yeah, not right. that <laughs> I can't even remember one of he man's uh, um lines but they're all just like let's go oh wait what <laughs> Let's go to our sectors or something. Yeah. <laughs> running, running reconnaissance for yeah. for the key. Oh man! Um, actual uh, Dolph Lundgren's real name is actually Hans. Hans Lundgren. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, oh, sorry, I was going to say like if anybody hasn't ever seen, there's a clip of him on a Swedish uh, like award ceremony on YouTube. Uh, just look up Dolph Lundgren. A uh, little more, little less conversation. Uh, he sings a little less conversation, the Elvis song, but then during singing it, he has a whole dance routine. He's got a torch. He does a drum solo. He's like a really good drummer, and then he does like he starts breaking boards and blocks of ice. It's like it's it's from like ten years ago, and it's like the funniest, most insane thing ever. Well, BRB, gotta go watch that. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> we should just watch that instead of Master of the Universe. <laughs> oh, it's so good. Uh, poor Dolph, like, and then he just gets thrown in here. I think he's always re- uh, really hated Masters of the Universe as well. Really? It was really, uh, I guess it was really cold. Well, speaking mm-hmm. of which, I'll play the clip, Bob. Whoa, he man. It was cold because uh, we shot in the winter and I was wearing nothing, basically. <laughs> so that was number one. In those days, there was no CGI, so you had to do pretty much everything yourself. So I was wearing this outfit, basically some, you know, little G-string made out of skin and a uh, couple of straps and, and muscles and oil and, uh, you know, a, a big sword. So uh, it, was, uh, it was a big departure for me because the role I did before was uh, playing uh, Ivan Drago, the enemy of the United States, a really bad guy from Russia. And then suddenly I'm getting hired to play this sort of hero, American hero, He-Man. And it was, uh, it was a big change for me and, and when I was a young kid, you know. Pretty much right on the nose. Well, I, I mean, think I like him more now. <laughs> so you forgive him for he for Masters of the Universe? Yeah, I don't think I knew much about him, but yeah, you can't was, blame him for this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's like a the '80s uh, Alexander Skarsgård. I, I like him now. I have a little soft spot for him. Yeah, it's like he was just—he's just a Swedish guy that they kept on dumping oil all over. Yeah. <laughs> You're man. You're a he does, Get yeah, out he does. There. He doesn't speak English. He's just like, what am I doing? <laughs> so cold. Uh, Very cold. Um, so what are some of the ways that, that they cut costs during the making of the film? I think number one is that they had it set in Earth because they couldn't afford to do Eternia in that shithole. That's too expensive. They had to go to our own. Well, not only was it set in Earth, but half the movie takes place in a music store. <laughs> or like a weird box like like warehouse or whatever that was like yeah, weird back right back alley. charlie's place <laughs> like hey my uncle owns a white's music box you wanna- <laughs> yeah that and like a high school gym they're like yeah. oh we got yeah. like and uh robbie's uh ribs and chicken which is right. definitely <laughs> <laughs> There's a few places that, that they go. Uh, was there any other things that we, we already kind of talked about? Um, a lot of the cutting costs that made people upset. Like, there's no Orko, there's no Battle Cat, there's no anything. There's, there's Man at no Arms only. I, I made a list no fight yeah. choreography, no masks, no makeup. Uh, they didn't have to get any money on Dolph's wardrobe. Uh, they recycled Darth Vader helmets for their little stormtroopers. Yeah. <laughs> it's all true it's all true they can't defend themselves toby is there anything else that you that really upset you as a young he-man fan um well you know another thing about the this and this got me with transformers the new transformers stuff too is like they totally ignored all the colors that were existed in the he-man universe um you know there was a lot of those purples and like bright pink sort of colors um in the cartoon and this was all dark black and shades of black shades of gray yeah that's right skeletor is purple not like black yeah oh yeah it's all really drab compared like even like beast man beast man's like kind of like a dark brown almost black in the movie but he's in the cartoon he's like orange and like kind of like yellow orange and some of that like it's yeah that they just kind of sucked all the color out of it and i think they just tried to shoot it at night because it was going to be more forgiving of their like slapdash production stuff <laughs> now let's get into some of the burning questions i had from this film let's start off a little bit on earth so robin 
you are Courtney Cox, uh, Cox expert. Which of these things would be the least exciting thing to do on your last date with Kevin? On your last date with Kevin, is it eat a bucket of ribs, visit the cemetery, find out uh, Kevin's a keyboardist and listen to his own sound check, or admitting your boyfriend's uh, band name is The Illusions? <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna have to go see finding out Kevin's a keyboardist listening to his own sound check. That was real sad. <laughs> <laughs> I like that, like their last night together, he decides he's going to just take that thing to the music store, but tells her to wait behind at the, yeah. in the empty school. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> like, why didn't she just go with him? Don't move, don't move a muscle, sweet lips. <laughs> yeah, just stay here. Yeah, watch my stuff. Watch my stuff. I gotta go. It's like, but in a way, it's like a typical musician. It's like the, it's like <laughs> you're my girlfriend. I love you. I picked you up in the band van. You know, and now why don't you listen to me play? Yeah. <laughs> well, then he like takes that thing to the keyboard or to like the music store, and he's like to the the guys like, "Hey, I just found this thing. It's one of those like Japanese synthesizers, right?" And he's like, "I don't know." And he's like, I, I, "No, it isn't." And then he like just instantly like turns around to leave. He's like, "Why did you even bring it there? Like, <laughs> like barely even gave the guy a chance to even look at it, let alone like." It's like guess he doesn't know. Like. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! All right, Toby. If you were taking your steady to a dinner at Robbie's Chicken and Ribs, do you put your bucket of chicken and ribs into the back seat before making out, or do you leave it in the middle and make out over the bucket of chicken and ribs? Well, this reminds me, um, Bob. I, I like to take every opportunity to embarrass you that I can. And uh, oh. Bob used to work at KFC back in the day. Uh, this is like in the nineties. <laughs> Uh, there was a woman, uh, not a woman at the time, a girl. We were in our teens, and uh, her name was Laura. Um, and I ended up dating Laura. Um, but uh, Bob wrote a song about her. And I just wanted to play a clip from that. Oh, quick. no. Party down! Work like a chicken. Oh, wow! Wow, Oh. Toby plays the guitar for Laura Shimura in the hot tub in her room. She jumps on Toby B. Crying. Let's get you. Let's get everybody up now. Clap, jam. This is for Toby P. Crying. <laughs> Did not make the album. What? <laughs> Did I just listen to that felt intimate and inappropriate? And I need the LP. Thanks. Oh my god, I totally forgot about that. And like, so yes, like Toby spent the entire night making out with her in the hot tub. Yeah, uh, where I. uh, uh, that song comes off. We made a Christmas album, and <laughs> that was one of the, the songs on it. <laughs> oh, I can't. I can't. The lyric, the narrative. I, oh, beautiful. No. Toby did not treat her well. She was a nice girl. Uh, she was. Uh, she did well in the drive-through at KFC. Yeah, I was. You Poor know. Girl. Like, yeah, I didn't even learn learn uh he didn't even learn her last name. That's where it comes Laura Schmore because we were like uh talking to Toby and it's like and I think we're I forgot why we asked her it's like what's what's her last name? And he's like Shmora. 
<laughs> you two heartbreakers love them and leave them in the hot tub. God damn. I mean, that's the problem. It's like we did, we weren't like that. Like, and so anytime we actually had like a, a human connection, we immediately like destroyed it so we can just go back to being miserable and pining after women. You know, it's just very complicated. I'm a complicated person. Wow. You know, well, and the only reason this story exists is because um, when we found out she, had, when I found out she had a hot tub, I'm like, "Hey, do you mind if I invite Bob over?" <laughs> oh, Tim, you want to get out of here? <laughs> oh man, I, that wow! This took a turn Could, I didn't expect. Yeah, yeah. Salute for bringing that up. That's <laughs> oh, all right, Tim. Let's let's uh, get our game face back on. Man at Arms is a big fan of greasy fried chicken, but he also has a brother in the comics and cartoons. What's his name? Oh shoot, I have to look this back up. I feel like he like was he had like a connection to a guy with a, with like a, another like kind of shinier suit of armor or like a like a metal fist or something like that. But I I can't really remember. I it's been so long since I've. Oh, but this is why I thought it was pretty funny. His his brother's name is Fisto. Oh, <laughs> Fisto. There you go. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. And yeah, he definitely has a big shiny um, suit of armor. Uh, I'm going to put this in in the chat so we can look at it um, in case you wanted to see. Like this was um, doesn't seem to be very. Yeah, I'll make sure to get it on the website too, so the the world yeah. can discuss. See fist. So he has a giant fist. Oh wow! I don't remember having a beard and a big mustache though. That's yeah, and then just like all oh, those thighs are just like pumping, just like <laughs> oh wow! Oh my gosh! <laughs> oh, this is my brother Fisto. All right. I think I was blending him with another character in my brain. I remember the fist, but I thought he had like a more of like an armor suit of armor. And <laughs> did they just had like I bet like Mattel had like a uh, a delivery of a bunch of gigantic like fists, like uh, like toy parts, and they're like, we gotta make. <laughs> yeah, it totally <laughs> looks like just like a repurpose of like a just a He Man body that they just like threw a different head on and a, a fist. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. So for this next question, let's put our minds into the uh, let's pretend like we're the we're the filmmakers here at what point of the movie are you like oh no what have we done (laughs) toby um so it starts if uh, the whole first 15 20 minutes is like castle grayskull in this sad <laughs> sad episode of he-man and you know they're stealing all the power from the sorceress and um which is just sad and, and not only that but the sorceress is missing like her trademark eagle hat um i think at that point you're just like what is happening here and instead they replace the eagle hat with a shard of crystal you know like um Probably because they have some plastic somewhere. They're just like, <laughs> oh, man. All right, Robin. So you are making He-Man. When is it when you're like, oh, no? I don't know. I mean, not knowing any of the backstory, I think they, like, you know, figured out a beginning-ish, a middle-esque, and an end-ish. And they were just like, see on the red carpet. Like, you know. <laughs> yeah. 
Spoiler, there was no red carpet. The, the cast and crew didn't even get their own screening. They had to pay to go see it. Oh, no. They had to pay to go see their yeah. own movie? Yeah. The oh, no. movie went direct to, to VHS. Well, it oh. went to theaters, but yeah, they were they didn't get to have their own screening of it, so they had to just go to pay to be with the, the viewing audience to see it themselves. Okay, <laughs> that's when they knew that they had made some more decisions in life when they had to purchase tickets and popcorn for their own movie. Yeah. yeah, Robin, uh, was it just me, or was I getting a little heat from He Man and Courtney Cox? So I have to tell you that, like, when he like throws her over his shoulder, or he like bucket carries her like over the threshold style. That's a slick move. I mean, yeah, a blonde mullet and the throw you over my shoulder move. Like, you know, I dig it. Yeah, do you think he's just going to like excuse me, Kevin? It's now time for. I I have the power. Or I kinda, like I was waiting for old Kevin to go by the wayside and for you know Courtney to drop that zero and get with a hero. You know what I mean? <laughs> oh, I know. <laughs> Literally. <yeah. laughs> oh. Okay, so Toby, as a keyboardist, uh, how would you incorporate the cosmic key into your performance? Uh, I was thinking about this. Um, my son wrote a song that I wanted to play for y'all that I think the cosmic key would go perfectly with. You're pooping like a big boy. You're pooping like a big boy. Oh yeah. You're pooping like a big boy. Oh yeah. You're pooping like a big boy. You're pooping on the toilet. You're pooping on the toilet. Is this where you start playing the key? You're pooping like a big boy by Ansel Crane's. Originally, also on the Christmas album as well. No, that was amazing. I can definitely, I can definitely see it. You need the, you need the key, and you need the yeah. special effects, and you need a a portal to come out at the yeah. end. <laughs> you know? Exactly. Uh, Tim, is Skeletor setting his crew up for failure? So, like, instead of sending like two thousand soldiers, he decides to send just his four flunky uh, bounty hunters <laughs> to get their ass kicked. Is he setting himself up for failure? Saying his crew. Uh, yeah. I would say so. I mean, he has a whole fleet, right? So, like, why not? Yeah, I don't understand why. I guess they're down there to do reconnaissance, sort of. Yeah, but so. they already know that they're there. <laughs> so, right. I, yeah, he is setting them up for failure. It's like kind of like, I thought it was funny where they're just like, should we send 2,000 people? And he's like, no, let's send four. <laughs> don't worry about it including the one what's that one guy with the big hair like looked like amadeus yeah i can't uh, love that guy. amadeus whatever yeah. he was awesome hair. yeah but i don't know he was a new character i think for the movie if I, if I remember correctly but i don't remember him from the cartoon no i don't either yeah he was awesome we got he was sort of like the leader of them right uh, i would <laughs> I wouldn't say they had a leader exactly. <laughs> it seemed like he was sort of commanding them yeah. at points, but yeah. Yeah. Stop, stop, stop.
right, um, let's get into our uh, a little bit of fun. This one's for Robin because we like to talk about hunks in the '80s. Who is people? Who was People Magazine's hap, uh, sexiest man alive for 1987? Uh, Extra credit for 86 and 88. Tom Selleck? Any there? Nope. Mm, I got nothing. Patrick Anybody else? Swayze? I was going to say Swayze because Dirty Dancing came out in 87, right? Mm. Was that in the 80s? I think that was on the list before. Mm. Yeah, it's 16th. Was it? Yeah. I thought maybe Swayze. I don't know. No. Anybody else? Oh, I got it right here. I, I. It was. This is for. This is a callback for last episode. Ellie yeah. Law's Harry Hamlin. Oh, <laughs> wow. Boyfriend Harry Hamlin. I am so sorry. Nineteen eighty-seven. It took him six years to recognize Clash of the Titans. Then. Yeah. No kidding. Right. <laughs> Did you guys um, do Clash of the Titans already? Yeah. Oh, man. And I missed Sorry. a Harry Hamlin moment. I adore Harry Hamlin. <laughs> I should watch some LA Law just for yeah. just to watch Harry Hamlin. Uh, plus, LA like right now, I'll watch Veronica Mars. Spoiler alert: He's the bad guy. Oh, okay. Nineteen eighty-six, sexiest man alive was Mark Harmon from Saint Elsewhere. Ooh, mm-hmm. I like that. That's a deep one. And then nineteen eighty-eight. JFK Jr. Oh, John, John. Yeah, John, John. Hot stuff. Yeah, I like all those picks. That's a good streak. I like it. Yep. And in 1989, I have uh, this on the little toggle thing. Sean Connery. Old Sean Connery. Come on, man. That's a weird one. Yeah. One for that cover. Nope, nope, and nope. Yeah, and then and after that, it's just, it just gets into Tom Cruise, and who cares? But anyways, <laughs> uh, Robin, it seems like there's plenty of cops in this uh, sleepy California town. Why does there seem to be none around as they fly their transport up and down Main Street? Were you wondering that? I was not wondering that, but I did wonder why. What was the cop's name? Lubick or something? Lubick, yeah. That guy. Um, he was threatening them with jail time, left, right, and center, man. He was not fucking around. Ooh, sorry. Are we trying to keep this PG? <laughs> no, that's okay. It's, it's already <laughs> gone. I kept on top. Everyone, we're watching Masters of the Universe. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, he was, like, not nice. But then I guess at the end, he had, like, a change of heart and fate. But, yeah, they have uh, ample room in the jailhouse in that town. He's a terrible cop. <laughs> it's just like just awful at his job. Yeah. He just like all I can see him is is like this like the asshole like principal from Back Back to yeah. the Future. <laughs> oh, that that's right. That was his big uh, big role. It's and then the to- same character. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Basically. Um, Toby, should Courtney Cox and Kevin stayed in Eternia, or what do you think? Here's Kevin and Julie. So, uh, what time's your bus to the airport? 8.30. Oh, great. So you can make my sound check, right? Yeah? Yes, I'll make your sound check. <laughs> All right. Oh, brought us dinner. Oh, boy. Robbie's ribs. Yeah, I thought it's something different for a time. Oh, yes. <laughs> yeah, well, it's not very romantic for a last date. But Julie, why don't you take a later flight, huh? And, Can I... We decided. Okay. 
so I think I, I think Kevin's a uh, class act. <laughs> I think they should stick together. Yeah, he's like, why don't you come see me play? And maybe take the late one out so you can have. <laughs> I'm just throwing it out there, like. <laughs> Oh, uh, yeah! He's blasting a "Living in a Box" by "Living in a Box." Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, there's a lot of disappointment that came from this uh, movie, not only from the people that watched it, but also for the actual people that made it. So, Tim, true or false? This movie destroyed Canon Pictures. Sort of. That's a. It's it, it definitely led to their demise, but it didn't necessarily. It wasn't the only thing that led to the, the demise. Uh, Superman Four: The Quest for Peace was also played a, a role because it came out. It was the same year. They were supposed to spend twenty five million on that. I think they slashed it down to fourteen and still lost money. Um, and yeah, they were already in some financial woes and were caught in a midst of a bunch of uh, uh, fraudulent activities of overstating their assets and uh led to their bankruptcy but yes this was this was not the final canon film they 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 kind of staggered along for a little bit longer but this led to the separation of uh golan and globus at least that's my understanding it was is that what you you had found as well yeah yeah, yeah. i mean that's basically this is one of this is one of the nails in the coffin yeah. for canon the, the early one was like life for toby hooper's life force the space vampire movie they spent a ton of money on a couple years earlier and that was like a huge hit and that kind of yeah. led them down this path uh to this masses of the universe and uh superman stumble and fall <sighs> well <laughs> you know no matter what they still wanted to make a um a sequel to this but it's scrapped because they could not pay mattel's fees robin in it, the the plot is He-Man is hiding on Earth because God forbid he spends any time in Eternia, <laughs> like like the cartoon. Um, and he has a new job. He has a new human job. What is it? Can you? Can you think? He's a bouncer. He went full circle, and now he's a bouncer. <laughs> no, he's a football quarterback. Yeah, he's a pro football quarterback. Was that's great. I really wish they could have made this movie. Oh my god, <laughs> that's all they know. That's I think that's the only thing people know about the sequel. It's like he's going to be uh, a football quarterback, and he's going to be played by Laird uh, Hamilton, the surfer. Yeah. Like, wow. <laughs> Not a deep bench of blondes back in the day, I guess. Oh, and I totally ruined the next uh, question for Toby, which was who is going to come take his what place? He said. Yeah. 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 It's later. Yeah, like, <laughs> um, okay, so the He-Man sequel is in ruins, but they spent at least two million dollars on props and stuff, so they still made a movie. Do you guys know what movie was? Did they make? I know Tim probably does. Mm-hmm. Anybody else want to take a guess? No, Tim. So they were they had gone into pre-production on Masters of the Universe two on sets and props. And they also were simultaneously into, into pre-production on the Spider-Man movie I was referring to earlier. So they were building like props and stuff for that as well. So Spider-Man was going to be directed by Toby Hooper, the director of Texas Chainsaw Massacre, which is weird. And then Masters of the Universe 2 was supposed to be directed by um, Albert Pune, uh, who did a handful of really bizarre movies for canon. Uh, Albert Pune ended up taking all of that stuff pre-production and quickly writing a screenplay and bringing in Jean-Cla- Jean-Claude Van Damme to make Cyborg. <laughs> and uh, 
and so he named all the characters after guitars. So John Claude Van Damme's character name was Gibson Rickenbacker. Oh, uh, there's another one named Defender Tremolo. Uh, there's a there was a Marshall Strat. <laughs> and so yes, yeah, I believe they, they they supposedly wrote the screenplay for Cyborg and were into production within like two days or something crazy is what the rumor is. Like some like basically no amount of time. They just like used whatever they had laying around and then tried to write a screenplay to tie it all together with the props that they had. <laughs> oh man. Oh uh, the other I guess the other funny thing was is that because of the Spider-Man thing falling through, they couldn't get into production. So then the, some of those rights for the Marvel stuff went into like into flux. And then when Golan and Globus split, um Golan left and started 20 20th century film corporation which was short-lived but w- he took the marvel contract with him and he made uh a like a very low budget a captain america movie in the early 90s uh under, under that 21st century film corporation with with that marvel contract but that was the only film that they actually got off the ground with the the contract and eventually the spider-man rights went back to marvel which then they gave it to sony and then that led to the sam raimi movie eventually there's actually a really great podcast uh if people are interested in th- that kind of stuff uh about not the- really because that probably sucks like <laughs> any other podcast sucks <laughs> anyways go on it, it's called the best movies never made and they talk about unmade scripts uh and they have a three-parter on the canon like saga of spider-man into all the different like Originally, like uh, James Cameron was going to do a Spider-Man movie that was announced. It's like a whole bunch of different versions, and eventually, like to to where it ended up. But it was like mo- like more than ten years ongoing, like different directors attached, different screenplays written, and it's really fascinating. <laughs> and people are are allowed to listen to that after you listen to all of <laughs> my back catalog. <laughs> <laughs> but anyways, uh, anything else for Master of the Universe before we start ranking these people? And call it a day. All right, let's get into it. It's ranking time. All right, let's start off with the hero. Our our categories are beefiness, charisma, and hair. We rank them on a scale of one to five. Uh, Dolph Lundgren's. We actually last episode uh, we changed it because after I started reading about Kevin Sorbo, I was like, ooh, ooh. So we, t- we I decided to change it to Lundgren's because I think I think I'm on safe ter- ground now. Yeah. Okay, so um, let's start with you, Robin. How many Lundgrens does Dolph Lundgren have for beefiness, charisma, and hair? Um, wow, that wavy blonde mullet. Um, beefiness, I'm going to go five. He's beefy and slippery. Um, <laughs> hair, I'm going to go one. It just looked bleached within an inch of its life and like not cute what's the other one charisma yeah uh put me down for a two for charisma final answer and that is a uh final score 2.67 for a he-man from robin how about you toby i'm gonna give him a five on beefiness uh one on charisma and a four on hair interesting (laughs) um and then him uh, definitely five on beefiness. Uh, I'll do three on hair and three on charisma. He was he was trying his best, but he just didn't have much to work with. 
<laughs> uh, so that's a 3.33 from Toby and 3.67 from Tim. And I'm going to give a five for beefiness, one for charisma, and four for hair for 3.33. It looks like we rank, we look at hair differently than Robin. We're just like, well, she's like, this is a stringy, gross mullet mess. And we're like, this is amazing. I wish I, my hair was like that. Like, I would love my hair to be that. Full main now. It It looked like it was damaged. No, there was nothing good going on there, guys. (laughs) (laughs) Oh man. Okay, so that gives a final score three point two five, which actually puts him ties him with uh, Perseus from Clash of the Titans. So his beefiness really just, um, I really put him over the top. Right, Perseus was more athletic. But he had fantastic hair. Um, we all gave him fives for hair. Is that um, Harry Hamlin? Yeah, mm-hmm. Harry Hamlin. Mm, my dude. Yeah. yeah. All right, let's get to Skeletor. So the uh, categories here are competency, organization, and clothing. And slash accessories. Yikes. <laughs> um, Competency, he was piss poor. I mean, don't send uh, a group of four to do a helmet. (laughs) Um, So competency, one. Organizational skills, one. Clothes, that outfit at the end was baller. I'm going five on clothes. Ooh. And that's going to be a 2.33 from Robin for Skeletor. Toby. Um. Competency is pure shit. Like we already had Castle Gray School. Just stop. Like, why? Why? Why risk it all? Um, organizational skills. It seemed totally disorganized. <laughs> like even when he heads back to Earth with his whole flock of uh, Darth Vader's, like it doesn't seem very organized. Uh, uh, and then uh, clothes. Uh, I'll give him a. Too. I mean, he, he looks kind of scary, but it, it lacks the flair of the cartoon. Wow. Uh, Toby's bitterness about this whole movie ruining He-Man it shows through, and he gets a 1.33 from Skeletor for <laughs> for this. All right, Tim. Um, so competency is one, for sure. Uh, he was not very good at his job. Uh, organization, I mean, he had a cool henchman he had a, some cool outfits. He had like a bunch of flying ships and stuff like that. So I'll give him a three, I guess. Uh, and then for that that end outfit, for sure, he gets a five. Um, I don't know if you guys stuck around through the credits, but there's a post credit stinger on this where Skeletor comes out of like slime and he says, "I'll be back." <laughs> I bet Robin was there. Robin <laughs> watched it. Man, I was there for extras and credits and. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. so that uh, Tim gives Skeletor a three. Um, I gave Skeletor threes across the board because, like, Skeletor did get Gray Skull, and he he knew that he had to go get the key because, um, like, right, like he like people could come back and get him. At least that's what I think he was thinking. Maybe, maybe not. Give him the benefit of the doubt. Um, <laughs> and also, I kind of liked his organization. He had all those. Were those actually people or those robots? His soldiers. Again, say. Yeah, because I know that He Man doesn't kill anybody. There's no death in He Man. Really? Uh, right. Like MacGyver. <laughs> kind of right. Yeah. Like, uh, and that was a big thing. Is like Mattel didn't want people to die, and so I think, and so they just had all these black stormtroopers that 
got shot like Which, i think they're supposed to be robots yeah it's weird because like they're shooting lasers and they have like the stormtrooper and stuff so like they're trying to make it like more for kids but yet the cop is blasting people with a shotgun <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and yelling about korea like, yeah, it's like <laughs> so like, oh, and, oh it's just so confusing oh i forgot to ask that question about lubich becoming like a an attorney and chic like that was like like that was crazy how he's just like he spent the whole time trying to physically assault like all these people and like chase them down. And he's like, I'm here. Give me a hot girlfriend. Like I <laughs> helped for two seconds. Yeah. I'm good. Yeah. I wish I had that saved, but uh the one where at the end where he's like, I got a beautiful woman. Why would I go to Earth? <laughs> For his like uh, rice aroni or his like hungry man dinner, just like his sad, sad apartment because no one loves him. That's all right. Oh, that, was, that was a little mean. Well, um, what's Skeletor's final ranking here? If you oh, okay, oh, sorry. Uh, two point four two, and so that puts him in second place. Sorry for all that breathing through my mouth. Uh, second place. Behind Calabas from Clash of the Titans, ahead of uh, Mayax, and ahead of Zur from The Last Starfighter. And so there we are. Master of the Universe, it's done. Robin, thank you so much. Hey, I, I appreciate it. Good journey to you all. In, in the, the mighty words of the movie, don't say goodbye, say good journey. Oh yeah, good journey, everybody. <laughs> yeah, take like a Katniss Everdeen, like a kiss and a salute and a whole thing. <laughs> uh, but thank you for listening to the Aging Hipster Movie Show. The show was written by Bob Serrano, Toby Crines, and Tim Holly. Produced and edited by Bob Serrano. The theme song was written by Kid Mental. Please check us out online, our Facebook group, or go to theagingheptsternetwork.com or on Instagram, the Aging Hipster Network. Once again, thank you and have a great night. <laughs>